Well, good evening. Good to see each one of you here back tonight at Heritage Baptist Church. And I normally don't take this many notes to the platform, uh, but tonight is, uh, as I was telling you, is the story of uh, my brother, and uh, I'm excited. Uh, I've never told the entire story before. My parents are the ones that have done that, and so they're watching, I think, tonight. My whole family is, or a lot of my family, uh, which is great. My parents are in Kenya, actually, uh, but uh, I, I really, the Lord put this on my heart when Brother Fong asked me to speak about trials, and then he put this on my heart to, to speak about the story of my brother Wayne. And uh, most, if not all of you, have no idea what I'm talking about, but uh, hopefully by the end of tonight you'll be stirred. If you were here this morning in the service, we preached on God's plan is always good. you believe that? Amen. Hopefully you've been thinking about that throughout the day, but God's plan is always good. God does not make mistakes. God's not surprised by life. God's not shocked by the circumstances that are happening in your life. God knows. And tonight, I want to tell you a story of a young boy, a young couple, a family, a church. God did a work, and I'll tell you this right now, I'll probably say it again, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. I don't think I'd be standing behind this pulpit as a preacher, if it wasn't for the story I'm about to tell you. I'll apologize now, because I will cry throughout this entire story. Um, my brother Wayne is near and dear to our hearts. He was my best man in my wedding. He's uh, eight years, I think about, eight years older than I am, seven years older than I am, seven and a half. No, I think it's about seven. Seven years older than I am. He's a special friend. I'm going to tell you a story and then give you the story of him and me, what God did in my heart. And I hope it will be a blessing to you as we tie into this morning's uh, message. The story is about my oldest brother, Wayne Van Gelderen III. He was named after my father and my papa, my dad's dad. If you don't know, my dad's dad was a preacher as well and uh, really had a lot. He really was a fighter in fundamentalism. And uh, was part of that uh, with Monroe Parker and Ed Nelson. And Wayne was named after him. But the story is not just about him, it's about Jesus. It really is. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about my brother and all these different things, but it is about Jesus. And it's not just about a healing, though that's amazing. It's about what Jesus did to, to change my dad's life, my mom's life, and my family's life and really how it's impacted our church, our college, and thousands, tens of thousands of people around the world. My dad is who he is today. If you were impacted back in the spring by his preaching, this is the reason why. I mean, God did things in his life before, and God did has obviously grown him after, but this was the focal point, the turning point, I think, for my parents. They would say that. Let me give you a few verses tonight. The simple title that I'm going to entitle this, and you'll know why in a few minutes, but Jesus is with you through the darkness. Trials are dark, aren't they? Some are more dark than others. Let me give you a few verses. I'll be honest tonight, I have no outline. I have a story. I'm just going to tell the story, and as points come out and application comes throughout the story, I'll tell that. But Hebrews 13, 5, the end of the verse says, For he said, for he said I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. 
Joshua 1, 9, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Isaiah 41, 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Isaiah 43, 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. What does that verse say? You're going to go through the rivers, you're going to go through the waters, you're going to go through the fire. But God's there. Jesus is always there in the midst of the darkness. So tonight, I'm going to be talking from my mom's perspective, her story, and my dad's story. I've got both of them. And uh, they both give a different perspective, I think, on the story. And I think it's pretty uh, neat how it works. Uh, but I think it'll be a neat opportunity for us to go through uh, this story and see what God did. July 17th, 1979. A bright, sunny Tuesday morning, my mom woke up knowing her little baby boy was on his way. They kissed their little 18-month-old daughter, Elizabeth, goodbye. And uh, she was home with granddaddy and grandma. My mom's parents, and they took off, excited about another baby coming to their home. Two hours later, they were, a little son was born, and uh, my dad laughs when he tells this part of the story. He named him after, he says his dad, <laughs> though it's the same name. Um, he just, what he said. Uh, but he named him after his dad and him. It's Wayne III, and uh, he was a precious little boy. And that night at the hospital, it was very unusual, uh, both, both my parents were there. So my mom's dad and mom, my, my dad's dad and mom, his grandmother, his aunt. It was quite an unusual uh, combination. It was amazing. And God led them to pray that night to give their son, little Wayne, to the Lord. And they prayed, give or make him a preacher. And my mom says this, how little did we realize what it would mean when we gave our little son to God that night? My dad speaks about the fact that he distinctly remembers something stirring in his soul that the Lord would work. One year later, he was one years old, they almost lost him with a rare blood disorder. And then his, you know, because he had the cord wrapped around his neck at birth and different things, there might have been some consequences that played into the story that was about to come. But a little, special little boy, Wayne III was. He developed in those toddler years, he was very smart. Uh, very smart from what I hear. He loved listening to preacher tapes. Uh, my dad's a preacher. My papa was a preacher. My uncles were preachers. My great uncle was a preacher. We grew up around preachers. I remember growing up, I went to preacher's meetings. My preachers were my, were my friends. And uh, I'm 31 years old. I'm a young guy. But I consider Pastor Fong my friend. Uh, why? Well, he's a good guy to have as a friend. But number two, I was used to having preachers as my closest friends. That's just the way it was. And it was uh, what they did. My, my brother was the same way. As he, he got used to listening to preaching tapes. And his, one of his favorite sermons was Dr. Monroe Parker, The Love of God. I think I just went out of order here. Let me just uh, get this in order. And uh, hold on one second. Okay. Love of God. And uh, so in November of his second year, and I'll skip ahead here a little bit. In November of his second year, Wayne began complaining of headaches and experiencing a personality change. Uh, Wayne was a really sweet, very, uh, just a great little, little guy, but he was constantly screaming. He was hitting on his sister and just, I mean, can you imagine you're pretty discouraged as a mother as your kid just goes nuts. Um, 
And so he felt, she felt like the worst failure in the world, you know, as, as, as a mom. What happened to the little boy? Well, they didn't know what was going on. My mom was expecting child number three, my brother Stephen, so you can expect she was pretty frazzled by that time. My dad talks about this, and this is really one of the most important parts of what I'm going to talk about tonight. He says this, and I'm just going to quote him from one of the messages that he gave. One night, I don't remember when it was, my wife was at a ladies' meeting, and I was babysitting. And I was burdened for, he was burdened for his, his life, and just God was working in his life about some things, and Wayne was in the crib. Um, and so he remembers distinctly praying, Lord, whatever it takes, I need your blessing. I don't want to go through the ministry without the power of God in my life. He remembers it was one of those sacred moments when he was standing, checking on little Wayne, standing at his crib, praying over his crib. Members asking God to do whatever it took to make him the man of God. Well, time moved on. March 31st, uh, my dad told my mom, hey, we gonna, she's, he was going to go to town for a few days, and uh, he was going to speak at a Bible college in Minnesota. And uh, my mom was <laughs> not happy. You know, my brother wasn't doing well, and then she was, you know, obviously she's having uh, a child, and she's just, it was tough. So my, my dad made some arrangements, and they flew. The children actually flew free to Minneapolis, and they were at a, in a guest room there at Pillsbury Baptist Bible College. And um, my mom decided to sleep in the same room as the kids, my sister and brother. And after sleeping with them a couple nights and just noticing, she realized something was dreadfully wrong with my brother. Uh, Wayne would scream in, the night, in his sleep, and several times he was beating his head against the wall. So they went to breakfast that next morning with the president of the college, and... He was a sweet little two-year-old. They're walking along, and all of a sudden, he just went into a rage. You know, this is kind of embarrassing for a preacher with the past, the president of this Bible college. And it was hard. They didn't know what to do, and things were happening, you know, quickly. And so while they were finishing that up, uh, my dad was asked to preach, actually finish a revival meeting for Dr. John Getch, who you'll have next week. He had had a high fever diagnosed with mono, I think, something like that at that time. And uh, this is 1982, uh, by the way. And he was given strict orders not to get out of bed. So my, husband, uh, my, uh, dad, my dad was called, and uh, he was there, and they were in a home of friends, and they were staying there. And my dad and this friend of his were playing a game of tennis. And uh, my mom called uh, the, the, the friend there and said, come quickly, something's wrong with Wayne III. And uh, she's like, he's having a heart attack or he's having something. What she, what she didn't realize was that a two-and-a-half-year-old boy was having a focal seizure. For 20 minutes, his eye and his whole side of his face twitched and was drawn. And uh, my dad walked in at that moment, and uh, they decided to rush Wayne to the emergency room. They were very concerned, told him to get him back to the pediatrician. And uh, it was a very tough night that night. My, my mom slept by his bedside and um, slept, or sang, sang to him. My mom's a singer. We all grew up. One of the, reasons, one of the main reasons we're all musicians today is because of her uh, musical uh, you know, musical side of things, she would sing to us all the time. And I think one of the main reasons I do what I do, she would sing to me every night before I went to bed. She would sing to me, if I woke up in the middle of the night, she would just sing all the time. So she's saying, Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. And uh, it was a special night that night. April 3rd, they flew home in a snowstorm and got straight to the pediatrician. He was a young man, very capable, but he hadn't seen everything. And uh, the doctor said, well, there's possibility of epilepsy or a brain tumor, and he scheduled a CT and an EEG the next Tuesday. Well, that eve Saturday evening, my, my, my dad's parents were coming over for a celebration. At this time, 
my grandmother was she had breast cancer and she was at the end of chemo so they were rejoicing about that but unfortunately because of the ominous clouds of this coming uh, EEG and CT scan it was something was not obviously not right and my papa prayed he said Lord you gave Abraham back his son you brought your son back he said, please give Wayne Jr. his son back. This is before they know anything. My mom says this, tears streamed down her face, a little two-year-old, Wayne, reached up, kissed him away. He said, don't cry, Mommy. Don't cry. At two years old, he was extremely sharp, very tender little heart. April 4th, Sunday, my dad was a co-pastor, Market Manor Baptist Church, Mom was a bus captain. That Sunday, she rode the bus for the last time. Monday the 5th was a very depressing day, my mom says, for her. Dark cloud over her head. She was doing, my dad did everything for her. Obviously, she was just, she was reading about epilepsy and brain tumors and things like that. My mom, if you know her, she really wants to know things. April 6th on Tuesday, it was my grandmother's birthday, and she calls and wishes her a happy birthday, and things were happy that morning, but they left at 6 a.m. for Hinsdale Hospital and the CT scan. And Mom puts it this way, they were, they were out in snow, and they slid a little bit, and somebody pushed them the, the, the horn in anger and was mad at my, my parents. Mom says, oh, I thought, if only you knew what we were going through. Well, my mom had been hoping they had, my, my brother had epilepsy, you know, better than a brain tumor. And... Nothing was seeming encouraging, though, over the weekend. Nothing. She turned to Isaiah 33, 17. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their arm every morning, our salvation also in a time of trouble. That weekend, that was the verse that God spoke to her heart. My dad, God was having him read in 1 Kings 17, where the widows, Elijah and the, and the, and the, and the crews of oil and the son that died, and all those different things. And my dad was convinced and made it, really, the Lord made it clear to my dad that it was going to be like his son died and was raised from the dead. And if God was going to be glorified, God would have to do that, really, to, to do it. And it, my dad, as a young preacher, much younger than I am today, got it in his soul, God, you're going to do something special. You're going to do something special. Well, he says this, he was glad he had that really good time with, <laughs> with the Lord because when he got to the table that morning, that was actually on Monday or Tuesday, he, uh, there was another seizure. So it was just, I mean, just thing after thing was happening. Well, they got to Hinsdale Hospital, got to the playroom, waiting to be admitted for tests, and my mom had a tape recorder. Kids, you know what a tape recorder is? How have you actually owned a tape recorder? Okay. So they didn't have video cameras, they didn't have cell phones, iPhones, they had a tape recorder. So she had a tape recorder, and she was capturing the moment for my brother. And uh, track number one, if you can play that now, this is what happened in the, in the waiting room.
That was him right in the hospital. I'm his little lamb. Jesus is the shepherd. Well, they got there and the CT scan operator had a grim look and did not answer questions of my mom. And my mom was feeding little Wayne in the room directly across from the nurse's desk. And, well, let me pause here before. I, I, I looked over my dad's notes, and I apologize. I might, this might happen a few times, but let me just put this. My dad really said this. He said, this is back when about the first Kings 17. He said, I, I don't know what you're all you're going to do, God. I know you can heal my son, but what really matters is that people know that truth is truth, and the Lord, whatever it takes on my ministry, I want the power of God to be there so truth, so the truth of your son can be exalted. And then he, in his message that he was preaching, he said, that's what it's all about. And that's really, truly what my parents were all about. Obviously, they wanted their son. I mean, I have a little 19-year-old girl, month-old month girl. That would, it, to think about this happening would be devastating. And so I know what he's going through, in a way. But he wanted God to be glorified. So back to the uh, Hinsdale Hospital. My dad was called to the phone. And the pedi pediatrician, who was a very kind man, had some awful news. He said, Mr. Van Gelderen, your son has a massive brain tumor. It's at a very bad location in the brain. I just want to tell you that it looks bad. I'd like to re recommend Dr. Ramundi at the Northwestern Hospital, Children's Hospital. And my, my shocked dad answered, uh, do you mind if we call a neurosurgeon that we know? And so he called a, a neurosurgeon in Greenville, South Carolina, and he recommended the same exact doctor that the pediatrician recommended. This neurosurgeon gave no hope. This is a Christian, I believe. Neurosurgeon gave no hope after he talked with the radiologist and called my parents back. My dad's parents were gone. This is before a cell phone, so you couldn't get a hold of people if they weren't at their home or at their office. Remember those days, anybody? Okay, kids have no idea what that's like. Uh, but his parents were gone, and he called it. So he called his Aunt Eleanor, he called the school principal, and then he had no one else to call. And he went back in the waiting room, and he sobbed. My mom says he wept the tears of death. The nurses cried with him. What are you going to do? It was agonizing. My dad kept saying over and over, only one child and no son. I'm not sure how old he was. I think he was just 24, 25, something like that. Pretty young. Children's Hospital, Northwestern University called. They had a, they had a bed ready. And they took him. My mom says this. She said, should we let him go by the house to see it one, one last time? I mean, that's, that's literally what they were thinking. And as they were going along, my dad puts it this way, I began to realize he's still alive. My son's not dead yet. And then it hit him. I serve a risen Savior. And I, back to my, my, my mom's story, she said little Wayne had asked to do a boat ride. It was driving by Lake Michigan. And if you know my dad, when he gets passionate, he'll, he'll, you know, kind of hit like a steering wheel or the, whatever he's at, just, man, this is, this is what God's doing. And he hit the steering wheel and he said, I know he's going to live. The Lord told me that this morning. And uh, my mom says, don't you think, you know, maybe, she was thinking maybe the Lord will take maybe this child and maybe there'll be a the boy in my stomach, that'll be the one that replaces. And no, I mean, no, this, this one's going to live. Wayne's going to live. Well, there was a, a, a tape, again, a tape in the car, and uh, that there was a song that came on, and Wayne said, Daddy, that's my favorite song. 
And then he said, what song is that? And he said, well, it's, it is well with my soul. I'm going to let you play. This is track number two. And my dad tells it. Some of these tracks have my dad speaking over it. Listen to it. So a little two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, telling his daddy, it's well with my soul, daddy. Remember, we talked about this song this morning. Well, they had a two-and-a-half-hour wait in the waiting room, but Wayne III couldn't have been cuter. He, uh, my papa was there. Now, my papa, uh, I'm not sure how else to put it, but this is a funny part of this. You had to tell it. He, he, uh, he was a skinny guy, but he had a, just a, a bulge, kind of lower in the stomach. He just kind of had a kind of a little belly right there. And uh, so he always did. That was just the way it worked. And so my, my brother was bouncing around, and he put on Papa's hat, and he's running around. And he looks over at Papa and goes, Papa, you have a big tummy. Is there a baby in there? <laughs> and uh, as you can imagine, that was very helpful to my parents and Papa and Grandma at the time. And uh, that was just, that was very good. Well, he was called upstairs, and Wayne was put into ICU. And then the, uh, the nurses fell in love with him, and uh, he quickly learned all their names, the names of all the doctors, and that has not changed 37 years later. Uh, he knows everybody's name, everybody's phone number, and he knows it all. He's a very smart guy. But, uh, I mean, it's incredible. At two and a half years old, he was a very, very sharp little guy. And um, so they met Dr. Mundy, who told him that looking at the x-rays from Hinsdale Hospital, they said, he goes, well, your son may not even have a brain tumor. He said, I've never seen like it. It's a funny-looking mass. And my mom says that day, that's what she needed to hear. Though it wasn't true, that's what she needed to hear. She could sleep that night. And that was important. She was pregnant with the third child. So she needed sleep. And the Lord knew that. The Lord planned that, that little deviation off the, off the trail. She planned that out. Well, she had to go home. And, uh, and one of the things my dad says is my mom couldn't be there much because of the, you know, the, all the different stuff they had going on um, in the room because of the baby in there. And so it was hard. And so... He puts it this way. He said, God was working directly, and he said, this man's life, and it's him. Really, Lord, whatever it takes, do it, is what he was saying. And it really was stretching. My dad was a full-time pastor. I mean, he was fully in ministry here, and this was happening. That night, they went home. Their daughter, uh, their daughter my, my oldest sister, was with um, a family in the church, and they, so it was an empty home, and they prayed. And they realized that night the preciousness of the prayer of a husband and wife together. April 7th, they got up early and drove to Children's Hospital, and uh, little Wayne was supposed to have an angiogram, and so they sat in the hospital cafeteria talking. And uh, my dad had said, you know, to my mom, Bev, he may not even have a brain tumor, this, or, or this will be the most malignant tumor ever seen, and God's going to heal him. And then all of a sudden, his name was called over the hospital loudspeaker. 
what my dad did not tell my mom is that one out of 200 die on the operating table. So it's a very high possibility. It doesn't matter if it's bed or not inside. Well, my dad's face turned white. Panic you know, came inside. Terror gripped my heart, my dad put it, and they rushed upstairs to meet the doctors. As soon as they saw the doctor in the hallway, they gave him a pretty alarming, alarming report. He said, by looking in Wayne's eyes, there's intense pressure. We want to map out surgery first thing in the morning. And they were introduced to their surgeon, Dr. David McClone, the head of neurosurgery at Children's Hospital. And my dad put it this way. He's, he, we're deeply grateful to Dr. David McClone. We trust he's a believer. We don't think he is, but he doesn't claim to be. He's a Catholic man. But he said the most primitive of all medical sciences is neurosurgery. The brain is so complex and so highly created by God that they can do what they, want, they, they can do what they can. There are many unknowns. It was really nice for my parents to have a man who really believed in the God of creation in the sense of this was an actual created being, if you know what I'm saying, had a respect for God uh, in, in charge of what's going on. My mom puts it that he was one of the kindest doctors they've ever met. He said, your little son would be better after surgery. The tumor is changing his personality and it's pressing on the other side of the brain. And mom and dad felt comforted by his words, but they're, you know, it, it, was, just, it was just tough. April 8th, the day of the first surgery, they came to the hospital early that morning. And on the bench in the lobby of the hospital were my grandma and granddaddy, my mom's dad and mom. My, dad, my, my mom, mom's dad was, you just have to know him. He was an outsized personality, a firefighter for 40 years. He was a Golden Glove boxing champion. He, he sparred with Muhammad Ali. Um, he knew everybody, got on planes with vice presidents. And he was just one of those guys that just you know, sold for the Braves outside the stadium for 40 years down in Atlanta. He was just one of those guys. But they had traveled all night and got a taxi, brought him to the hospital right there for my mom and dad. It was the thing that they needed. They rushed upstairs to bathe little Wayne before the surgery. He was in an old-fashioned tub in the middle of a bathroom. Mom puts it this way. We were looking down at his beautiful head of curly brown hair, realizing it was the last time we would see the little head whole on this earth. Remember the prayer at this birth, Lord, he's yours, make him a preacher. In these moments, it's my little boy. God, you're going to take my little boy. It does something for you as a parent. Well, a group of people came and prayed with them during the surgery. Uh, preacher, Dr. Frank Bumpus, and my dad says that he's, my dad was not thinking about laughing during this long, I think it was a seven or eight hour surgery. But, uh, Dr. Bumpus didn't, couldn't stand seriousness for too long, so he just made jokes. And my dad said, I don't think he's ever laughed as hard as he's ever laughed in his entire life. during the most serious time of the life. And that was what God had for my dad. It was exactly what was needed. And this was the first of four surgeries that my brother had, or I think maybe even more, but four that I know of. Well, the doctor came out, and it, it was a big, uh, big tumor. They said they opened up the skull, a tumor popped out. It was basically the size of a man's hand in his little head. The uh, pressure had been so intense, it just literally flew out of his head. It had fingers all throughout the brain. The doctor said, I've tried to clean each one of them out. He said, I, I'll just have to tell you, though, the tumor is extremely cellular. It's very, it, it's, look out. Well, then here is really where I not want to focus, but this is really a main part of what the story. The doctor said, hey, would you like to see your son? He could see, he could talk, he could move. And my dad had said this. He said, Lord, if you can bring my son through the surgery, and he can have all of his, the first surgery, he can have all of his faculties in place, then my dad was convinced God was going to do something. 
and he had all of his faculties in place. He was seeing, he was talking, he was moving. And the first thing Wayne said, this doesn't surprise me, Daddy, I want some orange juice. It's <laughs> the first thing he said out of the surgery. My mom turned around to thank the doctor, and he had big tears in his eyes. And then little Wayne said this, Daddy, oh, Mommy, Jesus was with me in the darkness. It's a two-and-a-half-year-old boy who just came out of a seven-hour brain surgery. The first thing on his mind as a little kid is orange juice. But the second thing on his mind right away, he can't even help it. Jesus was with me in the darkness. I don't know, we don't know how Jesus comforted him in those days, in those hours. Obviously, he was under, I don't know what Wayne was thinking. But I tell you what, there's a little boy that had an awareness of what we talked about this morning at two and a half years old. If a two and a half year old Christian can have an awareness like Jesus is with him in every dark time, then I can tell you that we as knowledgeable, trained, studied up Christians, seasoned veterans, can't we know that Jesus is with us the darkness? Doesn't he say that in the word of God? Didn't we just read verses that he's never going to leave us, he's never going to forsake us, and yet we live our lives like he's, like it's a lie. No, Jesus says it. He's going to live it. He's going to do it for us. It was a huge testimony to those little, that, little man, that little boy, to those, to those doctors. Well, that night, my dad sat with him all night. My dad said this. It was pretty nip and tuck. He said, I'll never forget every 20 minutes. Little Wayne would open his eyes, and there'd be an absolutely frightened little look on his face. He'd see his daddy. His eyes would lock. He'd squeeze his hand and go back to sleep. My dad stayed up all night for those 20-minute times. Doctors were calling in all night. They found out later they were concerned that he wasn't going to make the night. That was the first night after surgery but he made it. Well, the next day, he was recovering pretty quickly, and the personality uh, was, was coming back a little bit, the sweet little guy. And here he is with my granddaddy, D in the hospital room just the day after his surgery. Check three. I'm going to sleep now. Uh, it was just, my granddaddy was from Atlanta, so that was that, you know, y'all sweet. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, that's, that was him, that, that, that reassuring voice of my, of my grandfather was a huge help to my parents there, both grandparents right there. April 11th, Resurrection Sunday. God had no mistake putting Easter right in the middle of this time. They serve a living Savior. you believe that? Amen. A risen, living Savior. And uh, unfortunately, that day, uh, my, my uh, brother had no desire to walk, complained of pain, knew something was wrong. Some of the nurses said, well, that's the way they cope, but he had a headache. It was just awful, and it was not, it was not fun. And uh, my dad had been studying some of the stuff about cancers, and it just, outlook did not look good. And uh, those three days after Easter. Well, April 15th, or I think April, one of those days, April 14th or 15th, and I'm not sure the date. My parents would be better on that, but right in that week. The doctor, Dr. McClone, came, and he, he wondered if uh, he could talk to my dad. My dad prepared my mom for the worst. Well, he came in with a nurse, which is always interesting, and he pulled the chair over close to my mom and held her hand. And he looked at my parents, and he said, um, your son has... P-N-E-T, which is, in layman's terms, cancer of the developing baby brain cells. What they had found out before they came to this talk was only 20% of children with even benign tumors live. Benign. They told, they, they told him in this time there's only 100 cases of this type of brain tumor. 100. Every one of them have died within a few months. He basically looked at my parents and said, your son has a 0% chance to live. He's going to die. He has three to six months, basically. The talk was not about survival. The talk was the treatment to make him comfortable in his last few months. Can you imagine? You just had surgery. You just went through this. You know he has a brain tumor, and now you're told, basically, He's dead. Your son is just, anytime. Well, that really, I mean, that was just stunning. Obviously, my parents knew, and we're still trusting God. But, I mean, this one's just shaking them. Well, my mom, and this is my mom. <laughs> this is my mom. I uh, totally, I love her. This is, the, I love his personality side of things. And I think this is right when it was said. And uh, mom, if you're watching, you can correct me later. But, um, my mom looked at the doctor and said, wouldn't it be great if he made it to his kindergarten graduation? The doctor looked back at, him, at my mom and said, if he makes it to his college graduation, I'll be on the front row. Keep that in mind. Well, April 19th, a few days later, my, uh, my grandparents, my, my dad's parents, left for uh, a trip to the Holy Land. And my parents wanted to go. It was pre-planned, and it was just part of what they were doing. So they wanted them to leave, and they did. It was just a, it was just bad. I mean, it was a lot of people gone, and it was tough. And my dad, a lot of times, was by himself, and the mom got pregnancy, and you know, it was just a lot of things going on. And uh, they had a lot of other 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 details. I won't go into all of them, but they, they were afraid he was going to be a hydrocephalus. Uh, 
Fleck, I can't even say those words, big thing, he needed a shunt, there's a lot of liquid in his, uh, fluid in his brain, and a shunt that would drain the fluid down, and um, they didn't want that, they were afraid of the, the malignancy of the tumor draining, and, I mean, they just prayed until one in the morning that day on April 21st, and they got deep peace, and all they had was the, the, themselves, and they were just, just, just God's companionship was incredible, they just, that time, his word, and the prayer, and obviously, them, themselves together. They didn't know what God was doing at that moment in little Wayne's life. Well, April 22nd, 10 a.m. was a big time. Right at that time, he became unstable. His, temple, his temperature shot up. It was 104.9 and climbing. This is a boy with a brain tumor. But we know it was because of an unsterilized needle put into his body by an intern that his, his temperature shot up. He had a horrible case of meningitis. He was very unstable. They, he was delirious, completely out of his mind. Uh, they checked his spinal fluid, and uh, normal white cells in the brain, blood, white blood cells in the brain should be five to seven. He had 7,000 out of control. Uh, it was just out of control. I mean, the doctors were absolutely concerned. Dr. McClone, his neurosurgeon, was out of the country at this time. It was, it was really difficult. I mean, it literally, the doctor kept saying, one more scan, one more scan. And keep, keep in mind, at this point in time, the left lobe of the, the brain, a lot of the left lobe of the brain was gone. I mean, they were taking his brain out, you know, from surgery. I mean, things going up in his brain, this is not a good thing. At this time, there was a, a pastor and his wife who came in and walked in right at that moment. God led him there. It was a pastor and his wife who had gone through tragedy. They had lost, I believe, three, three kids in a, in a car crash. Um, awful tragedy. And God told them to come, and they walked in right at that time. Right during that time. And it was the third uh, traumatic Thursday out of five in a row. It was just unbelievable. They had to put an outside shunt in, and uh, they said it would be four to six weeks on his back. He would lose half of his skull. They didn't think he was going to pull out of his, his delirium. My dad stayed overnight. He was such a bad shit. My dad was there overnight with him, and my mom had to go home. And about 2.30 a.m., my dad, this gives his point. It's a great thing. He's delirious. My brother's delirious, a little two-and-a-half-year-old. And he wakes up, looks at his daddy, and goes, Daddy, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> my dad said, Believe me, those were good words to hear. <laughs> he was rational again. He was thinking. And uh, he still had a very, very high temperature. Well, the next, uh, well, before we get there, well, my dad says this. The doctor came back. And man, he was not happy what was going on. And he got into action, and uh, the, the, just the infection was better, and the count of the blood cells was better, but the, the, the temperature was still pretty high. Well, the deacons came. Um, well, before we get there, let me get to this part here. Um, there was, uh, they were, they were going to go to their next surgery, his fourth surgery. And he asked my dad, and I think I'm a little out of order, but that's okay. He asked my dad, as they're going in the hallway, he said, would you sing, Daddy, would you sing to God with the glory, and would you sing How Great Thou Art, and then would you sing the God of Abraham praise? That's my brother. Okay, he wanted them all. Well, my dad could sing the first two, but he didn't really know about the third one. But he just sang. He said he wasn't going to let his little boy down, so they were walking down the hallway, and he was singing it out as they went down that same hallway for the fourth time for surgery. On May the 6th, and the, uh, the radiation began. And uh, let me go back a minute here for um, one of the things here. The deacons came 
to the hospital. They dropped everything and came to the hospital. And actually, I'm, I'm out of order, so let me, let me, let me pass, pack, go back. He started his radiation, I apologize. He started his radiation. And let me say this, two and a half years old, you shouldn't have radiation. Okay, he's still developing. And that was back then, they were just trying to help him cope with the survival of the last few months. And they weren't trying to keep him alive. Well, they had radiation, and uh, I'm going to have track four played in just a second. My dad will explain. I'll stop the track early, um, guys back there. But uh, this song, you're about to hear when my dad talks over it, was the song that played in the whole area when he was going to radiation. We played music over the loudspeaker system. And this is a song that Little Wayne heard. And That's amazing. Just a small miracle. Let me back up for a moment. The deacons of the church actually came during his time where he was delirious and his high fever. They came, all 26 of the deacons of Market Man Baptist Church, they dropped everything, came to the hospital, and uh, the pastor who had come, who lost his three kids, had came and he led them in a prayer meeting for their son to be healed. They really were claiming James 5 uh, for, for Wayne to be healed. And a few days later, before the uh, radiation began, that high fever had been going for a few days. Uh, but on the way home, they got home, and Dr. McClellan said, hey, the fever has, is gone. And uh, it, it went away. Uh, April 29th, there was no sign of infection, and that uh, was pretty incredible. Well, they started the radiation, and uh, it was tough. Radiation is never easy. Stuff like that is never, never easy. And uh, he was supposed to have a boost in his radiation counts of a couple thousand rads, which just would have hurt him, especially as a two-and-a-half-year-old, I mean, horribly. And the oncologist, my dad puts it this way, was not, he's not going to win a PR contest. He said to my parents, he said, well, I hate to hurt him any further. He just, he doesn't have any hope anyway. Can you imagine saying that to a kid? Not good bedside manners. He said, why don't we just forget about that boost? My dad said, well, I, well, he thought this. He said, well, it's a terrible, terrible PR, but that, that sounds good. <laughs> so God worked through that, through that man, even though he was kind of a mean man to not boost the radiation on this little boy, which is a huge, huge deal. Well, on May 10th of that year, 1982, all the deacons, the pastoral staff, they all came, every man came to confidence that God was going to work. They came to my parents' home, same crib, same room where God had called, uh, my, my dad had called upon God to do whatever it took in his life. 
and this, my mom had her tape recorder, and this is what she recorded. listen to that? That's what this is all about. You have trials in your life, get a hold of God. As we said this morning, God is always good, and Jesus is there with you in the darkness. He wants to answer your prayer. He wants to see uh, the victory here. Well, on June the 21st, 5 a.m., they took him in for a CT scan, and my dad said he was, these CT scans were horrible, just the nervousness of going into them. They found out afterwards the doctor was fully expecting to see an already massive return of the cancer just a month later, a vicious cancer. Well, afterwards they said it was completely clear. And uh, just completely clear. And they said, now, they're like, well, okay, they're going to they're gonna, we'll have to come back in October. And it was a little early, but there was, there was no cancer. And we don't know what happened. Maybe it was the fever because of that that, uh, that needle, whatever it might have been, but there was no cancer there. He got stronger and stronger, and he, he gained strength, gained some weight back, but he had this cancer, you know, he's missing some level of his brain. I mean, it's just, you know, things are, are tough. And uh, the chairman of the deacons got up at the church uh, the following Sunday and said, folks, you can now uh, be in victory. Wayne is healed. And uh, <laughs> my, my dad says this way. He says, his dad and him about fell through the platform. That's quite a statement. But he said their faith, you know, they were, my, mom, my, my dad, my mom were too tied to that to have honest, objective faith. But he said these men had claimed it. And they, they claimed it. And, he, and my dad said, Lord, if you weren't planning on healing him, you've got to do it now for the sake of this church. <laughs> He's got to be healed. I mean, they were confident. All 26 men, the, 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 the deacons and the staff and people in the church and people around the, around the country were convinced God was going to heal Wayne III. Well, October, it was the big time. And they got to the, to the CT scan in October, and it was coming up, and they went in there. Obviously, it was, it was tough. It was hard. It was, you know, before they got there, they didn't know if, you know, because obviously with cancer, especially little, little people, it comes roaring back. They went there. Dr. McClone put it up on the CT scan. He looked at it, and he looks at it, and he looks at it. He comes back. And you don't want it, you don't want uh, long looking by a doctor, right? It's scary. He comes back and he says, he's totally clear. His brain has shifted back into place. He said something my dad doesn't remember exactly, but about God healing. And the doctor McClone said, I don't need to see him again. That's the same year. A young boy, given 0% chance to live, 
100 cases, all of them died. This little boy lived. Wayne III didn't just make it to his kindergarten graduation. Wayne III made it to his college graduation. My brother is missing the left lobe of his brain. He shouldn't have ability to do things that he's doing. Wayne III graduated from college with a pretty good grades. <laughs> so the professor said he did some of the best essays you could ever, ever imagine. His memory is amazing. He remembers everything. If you lost something, ask him to find it, he'll find it. It's incredible what God's done in his life. But God healed him. An incredible story. Now it's been a trial. And Wayne can't, uh, you know, he, 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 he's not able to live by himself. Um, he's with my parents at home. He has a little dog. You'll see a picture in a second of, of the dog. Uh, a big dog. If Wayne's watching, it's a big dog. Excuse me. Uh, bigger the, bigger, big spear, that's for sure. You'll see it. Um, but, uh, you know, Wayne uh, has gone through trials in his life. It's not been easy. Um, and uh, it's not, a, not an easy life for him. But I tell you what, God made my parents who they are through that trial. And let me say this unequivocally. God has made me who I am through this trial. It's been an ongoing trial. It's been tough. There's been moments where it's not easy. But I will tell you what, I wouldn't trade any of that for the, all the money in the world. I wouldn't trade any of that for any different circumstance. I am so glad that I am placed in the family I was placed in and the circumstances I was placed in. I think my parents and all my siblings would say the same. My brother bears a broken body. He's, he's not an, a, a whole person like we would be. But I can't wait till we get to heaven and see my brother someday in the future in a better body than we have in a whole body, singing and praising God. You know, my brother is an incredible guy. He's, he's outgoing. He's outgoing more than I've ever seen anybody in my entire life. He knows no stranger. Loves to cook. He could compose. He really likes to write music. He plays the cello. He does all kinds of things. He would have probably been the next pastor of our church. He is just one of those guys. But he sacrificed that all, not willingly himself, but he literally bears this cross through his life but his brothers, both of his brothers, his sisters, and his mom and dad, and then the hundreds of college students, thousands of people that come through our church, and you even here tonight, been blessed by the ministry of those affected by his life and what happened because of his life. I'm going to show you some pictures, and then before we're done, I'm going to give you a personal story of what happened in my 10th grade year that really is personal to, for my life. Let me show you some pictures here. Uh, so this gives you a little context. This is my brother and little sister. It's my oldest sister and him when he was born. That's my papa, my dad's dad, and Elizabeth and Wayne. Oops, I'll go back there. And that's my mom and little Wayne. That's little Wayne when he was a little guy, cute little guy there. That's him around the time of his, before his brain tumor. That's with his whole full head of hair in his little sailor outfit. I've got pictures in that same sailor outfit. Uh, and look pretty similar to that too, actually. We're pretty similar looking little guys at two. That's my parents. This is a great little family. And uh, here comes this trial. There's that all happening there. And I believe this is all pre, so there's the doctor, Dr. McClone, who is the doctor uh, that uh, did all the surgery 
and uh, really dear to our family. There's Wayne after the surgery. Has his big head turban. There's him in his hospital bed. Pretty tough guy, isn't he? That's more pain than we even can experience. Maybe some of you have gone through pain of surgery, but I can't even imagine your head getting cut open four times in a surgery as a two-year-old. My mom was very creative, always has been, and kept him really smiling. You can see a little smile there in his face. There he is with a little violin. plays cello now. There he is after the surgery. He's growing up. Getting older, there's uh, Stephen, part of the family now. There's Wayne to the left. There's Wayne playing the piano. He plays piano too. There's my granddaddy with him. And uh, I believe that is my sister. I think I'm right. I may be somebody else, but that's Wayne to the left either way. There's Patch the Pirate with my brother. And uh, there is the four of them, so Elizabeth in the back, and then Stephen to the left, Wayne to the right, and Anna Grace in the front. I'm not there yet. I believe that's his kindergarten graduation. There he is. Playing soccer. There he is with my mom. Did a little tape, uh, a CD recording of that. There he is with my Aunt Joy. Remember my Aunt Joy I was talking about this morning? That's my Aunt Joy. Wayne was devastated when she passed away. They were very close. There he is, I think, in junior high, I believe. There I am, <laughs> second from the left with the violin. And uh, there's Wayne there at the cello. And there he is in high school, I believe. That's his high school graduation, another major milestone. It's in, I think, in college time. High school, getting older. You see he has a full head of hair here on this thing. He, was wear, he wore a hairpiece off and on. And uh, give him that. This is his uh, college graduation. And guess, look who was there. That is his doctor, Dr. David McClone. That's uh, my dad and my Uncle Jim. That's Wayne. That's our family. Getting bigger and bigger. You can see Wayne back there, if you can see him. Um, I'm not sure where he is there, but he's on the far right. And then kind of in the middle there, see the dog. And then there he is, present day, with his dog, Charles Alexander, I believe. He's a Bichon. Uh, Cavachon, excuse me, Cavachon, not a Bichon, he's part Bichon. My brother would not like me telling me that he's Bichon, he's both. But the, my brother's very particular. If you say things wrong, he's going to make sure you know it. It is not that what you're saying. So that is Wayne and his dog. Let me play you something, though. I forgot to play this, and I'm going to leave that on the screen for now. I think it's track, the last track of audio, track six. This is Wayne, I believe, just in church, a little bit after his surgery time, singing, It Is Well With My Soul.
Some little guy was passionate, wasn't he? My 10th grade year, I was in chapel. My brother Stephen came in and said, got to go. So it was a Tuesday morning, I believe, in January. Rushed home. We had been noticing my brother had kind of acting strangely during that time. We don't know what exactly was happening. And he was kind of standing around, staring with kind of vacant eyes. and just was very unusual. He was in the middle of college and rushed home. My brother said, Mom needs you. What I didn't know is that I wouldn't leave home for four weeks. To go back to school for four weeks. My brother, over the next few days, basically turned into a vegetable. The scar tissue we think, we really don't know, the scar tissue in his brain shut his body down. When I say shut his body down, it was opposite of everything you wanted it to do. He wouldn't talk. He didn't talk for months. Um, during that month, I did everything. I carried him up down the stairs, literally, physically carried him up down the stairs. I dressed him. I bathed him, took him to the bathroom, fed him. Feeding him was through a dropper. Uh, he wouldn't swallow, ever, unless it was just a miracle that would swallow. So there was just stuff in his mouth. We'd have to open his mouth and get it out. He couldn't help it. He was just sitting there. For some reason, his brain was telling him opposite things. So when we tried to feed him, he would push back against us feeding him. So I would literally have to sit behind him every day and wrap him up in a big bear hug behind him. My mom tried to feed eyedroppers of fluid and smoothie type of things to get something in his body. No hard food. He was losing weight. Every night, he would, we would sleep with him. My mom and I would go back and forth because it was so intense. He would just sit up in the middle of the night, you know, screaming out, yelling out. And now, you know, we'd have to put him back down. We literally, I mean, it was literally 100% hands-on care. 100%. I'm a 10th grade boy, 16 or 15 years old. Why, God? I sat in my room one day, worn to the bone. I hadn't slept in days. I was literally doing everything. I, had, I was so behind on schoolwork, I was trying to fit that in and off times. I was just laying in my bed, discouraged, and I was just, why me, God? And it was like God said to me, Daniel, I want you to have a little part of this suffering. I want you to understand a little bit what your brother's going through. And came a point in time in that those weeks when my brother didn't eat or drink anything, he wouldn't swallow anything for three days. His jaw was literally locked jaw. We couldn't even get his, a, a dropper in between his teeth, nothing. I mean, nothing. When he was over 21, my dad said, you know, you know, he brought the family together. My brother was dying. He was literally dying. My dad brought the family together, so we're all, you know, either adults or um, older now. My, nobody was married at the time. My dad brought us all together and said, kids, we've got a problem. Your, your brother is dying. We have three choices. We can take him to the hospital where they will admit him and keep him, you know, put him in a mental institution forever. We'll commit him. We'll never see your brother again normally. He's over 21. He has a mental, they'll consider that a mental case. Second option, he dies. Third option, we pray and ask God to heal him. Our whole family had gotten together, our extended family, and prayed 
But that time we got together as just our immediate family. We gathered around my brother. My dad put his hand on my brother's head, and I was sitting behind Wayne like I normally did. I had my hands rested there. We were just, I just had him like abnormal, and Wayne was just totally quiet. Not saying anything, eyes vacant, just sitting there. And my, my dad, with most, one of the most passionate prayers I've ever pray, heard prayed, he said, God, and remember my brother's jaw is locked shut. It hasn't been opened for three days. He hasn't eaten anything or drink anything. My dad said, God, I don't know the exact word, but this is the gist. He said, God, you healed my boy and when he was two and a half years old, and you got the glory for it. Basically, he said, God, I don't think you want him to die now. God, open his mouth now. I was peeking, I have to admit, but I looked, and the moment my dad prayed that, my brother's jaw relaxed. His mouth opened up. It was an intense, several, three, four, five, six month recovery zone back to normal. But that was the moment God healed him again. I was there when God answered our prayer directly right there. You can't tell me God doesn't work. I'm not a perfect person, and I have sometimes strayed from what God has had in my life, but I'll tell you what, I have not gone away from what God has in my life and the will that God has for my life, and I stand behind a pulpit today, and I'm passionate about what God has for my life and wants to change others' lives. Why? Because I've seen Him work. You can't shake me from that. My God is a good God. My God answers prayer. My God's with me through the darkness. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what Satan says. My God's there. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Christians tonight, what about you? Is your faith shaken? God answers prayer. God knows the trial he's, he has either put you in or allowed you to be in. God knows. And Christians tonight, trust him. Give him your life. God wants to do it. It will change your life. Try God. He said, oh, no, try God. Give him a chance in your life to change your life. Well, in closing, I want to do something that's never been done before, ever. This is the first. I'll show you a video that was put together for Heritage Baptist Church. This is Wayne III speaking to you. I should have died in 1982. I was given a 0% chance to live, but I'm 39 years old today. I shouldn't be able to do many normal activities. But God enabled me to graduate from Baptist College Ministry in 2005 with a Bachelor of Arts degree in Bible. I also play the cello in our church orchestra and serve in many other ways that falls with the church. All of this is a testimony to the miraculous healing power of God. It is my hope and prayer that my life story will be used to encourage Christians to believe God in the midst of their trials. Some of the trials you are facing right now may seem impossible. You may feel overwhelmed with darkness, but our God is the God of the impossible. He wants to give each one of you peace and joy in the midst of every heartache and every trial. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Remember to thank the Lord for every trial 
in your life. If you are here and you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, trust him today. I put my faith in Christ alone as my Savior when I was just a young boy. God saved me from certain death at the hands of a brain tumor. But more importantly, he saved me from death and hell and gave me eternal life. I would love for each one of you to experience the love of my Savior. Jesus was truly with me in the darkness during those days of April 1982, and he wants to walk through the darkness with you today. Said from his heart, my brother doesn't cry very often, doesn't show a lot of emotion. Those little tremors in his voice is him being overwhelmed with emotion. That was said to Heritage Baptist Church. I don't know why God put this all in my heart to do this tonight. Somebody in here knows why. Time to trust God. Christian, it's time to trust God. It's time to stop bearing ourselves under our own self-care, even, you know, and wallow in despair, even though things are hard. Tell you what, I don't think things would be the same if my dad would have given up. He got a hold of God. And he said, God, I believe you. And I trust you. Whatever happens, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to tell you what, God wants to work, with, work in your life and he wants to, to show you himself in a way you've never seen. Jesus is with you in the darkness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness to us in ways we can't even experience and explain. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do even during this time, this invitation. Lord, I pray you would help and guide us. I pray you would help even now. Heart should be tender. Before we have our invitation, how many of you would say, Brother Van Gelderen, simply, God worked in my heart. I don't know what it was, but I don't know what it is, but God worked in my heart. Anybody here like that? God worked in my heart through this story. Amen. All across the room. All across the room. Tonight, I think you know what to do. As the piano plays, why don't you come forward and talk to the Lord? If God wants you to talk to him about some trial in your life, about trusting him, you come forward. I see families coming. If you families want to come commit yourself to God, no matter what happens, you come do that. Whatever might come, trials might come, Jesus is always there. You can trust him. away from God tonight. Tell you, my brother Wayne was passionate about giving that testimony. I want you to experience God's love tonight. My brother Wayne doesn't, he's not a whole person. He's missing some things that we all have and we complain about the smallest things. It's time to get in our face before God and give these things to God.
Amen. I just want to close with two quick things. and uh, We have some... Uh, well, before this, if you were blessed by this story, Wayne doesn't get to hear by what, like what God's done a lot. Uh, he doesn't have a phone, doesn't have techno- access to technology. We would love for him to hear what God did in your heart and your family's heart. On the screen, I think now they're going to put my email address, okay? And caps doesn't matter actually at all on there. Uh, it's a long email address. Write that down. If God did something in your heart, please flood my inbox with emails. It would be the most special thing in the world to print these things out and show my brother what God did. I, I, I've never seen him so excited to do something in his entire life than when he did this testimony by video. He looked at me and said, well, why, why, would, why would you want me to do that? I said, Wayne, you haven't had a lot of opportunities to preach, but they prayed for you to become a preacher, and God's put this on my heart. We're going to get you to preach. It was a two-minute message, but I think God used it. God used his whole life. His whole life's been a, a sermon. And because of his life, it spawned hundreds of other preachers as well. I know God would, at his biggest desire, that you would be saved and that you would serve God. We also have some tracks, like little iPhones. Uh, it says, Jesus is with me in the darkness, through the darkness. These tracks, my mom has handed out, I don't even know, thousands, tens of thousands of them, myself as well. Um, people have gotten saved from them. People are, have been touched all around the world. Um, my, my mom, nobody returns these down. Not a person. Um, and it's a pretty incredible story to read. It gives the gospel very clearly in there. If you would like some of these, like us to send these to you, contact me as well, and we'll do our best through our church ministry to get you those as well, if you'd like to hand some of these out. But I just thank you so much for letting me come today. It's been a privilege, a huge privilege, to be a part of this ministry. I love Heritage Baptist Church. You guys have been more blessed to me than I can even explain. And um, I just pray that God will do a work, continuing work, and the fact that you can trust God. God is always good, isn't he? Amen. Amen. Thank you.